Today, we're going to look at a story from the life of Jesus that teaches a very powerful truth. And if you can grasp this truth and apply it to your life, uh, it'll change things forever for you. And here is the truth. Jesus knows more about you and your life than you do. You think you know yourself better than anybody else, but Jesus knows you more than you know yourself, and he knows more about your life. That means he knows more about your family, your life situation, your job, your problems, your abilities, your limitations, your ambitions, your potential, all those kinds of things. And there is a, a, a companion truth that goes along with that, and that is this one. He, that is Jesus, is willing and able to make your life the absolute best that it can be. Jesus knows more about you than you do, and he wants even better things for you than you can imagine. In a lesson where Jesus described himself as the good shepherd, John's gospel, chapter 10, he made this statement. He said in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now the thief would be the false shepherd, anybody that's just in it for themselves, ultimately Satan himself. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or overflowing or more abundantly. They refers to the followers of Jesus, which includes you and includes me. That I have come that they, you and I, may have life and have it to the full. The thief takes life, but the good shepherd gives life and causes life to overflow. The abundant, overflowing life is something we talk about, but we don't experience it. Quite frankly, we don't experience it on a regular basis. So Jesus says, I know you, and I want to make your life not just work. I want you to overthrow. I want over, uh, overflow, not overthrow, but overflow. I want more than for you to be alive. I want you to thrive. And of course, we'll talk about that a little bit more in the coming weeks when we get into our Thanksgiving series. Now, today, we're going to look at an example of a person that comes to this realization, a guy whose name almost everybody knows. His name is Peter. Uh, Peter is known as the Apostle Peter, right? He's a good example of a normal man who became an extraordinary follower of Jesus Christ and an extraordinary leader in the early church. We're going to look at an account of, of, a, of an event in the life of Peter that was life-changing for him, recorded for us in the gospel written down by Luke, this, this biography of the life of Jesus recorded by Luke in Luke's gospel chapter five. Now, of course, Peter didn't start life as the apostle Peter, you know, the big man. Uh, he didn't start life that way. At the beginning of this part of his life, anyway, he is simply known as Simon the fisherman. Not a bad thing, you know, had a job, he had a family, he had, uh, uh, he had partners, he was in business, uh, but he was just known as Simon. Now, there are numerous Simons, I think seven or nine people that are recorded in the New Testament, whose name is Simon. And so uh, uh, and Jesus gave him an extra name to, to differentiate him. But that name Simon is kind of interesting. Uh, uh, if it comes from the Hebrew, uh, then it, it means hearing. Uh, however, there's a Greek uh, name that's very close to it that means flat nose. So uh, I, I always think about, about Peter. You know, this is a tough guy. He's a fisherman. 
a flat-nosed guy whose mom was always saying, would you listen to me when I talk to you? Because he's, he's the guy that's always in trouble, right? So he never listened to anything. His name needs flat-nosed hearing. Uh, he's not a glamorous man at all. He's a hard-working, fishy-smelling, gooey, small business man. That's the way that he spent his days and nights. You may know that Jesus also called him Peter. Sometimes he's known as Peter, sometimes Simon, sometimes Simon Peter. That differentiates him from the other Simons of the New Testament. That word Peter is a Greek word that's the word Petros, and it means a rock or a stone, maybe a cliff or a building stone. Jesus took this man, Simon, on a journey from being a typical businessman, a fisherman with a couple of business partners and a couple of boats and a couple of nests. He took him from that guy to being a man of God, a man of immense spiritual power. Peter began the journey stumbling and fumbling his way along, often saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, sticking his foot in his mouth. Uh, and he, God, God took him from that guy, that guy that, that was always jumping out when he should have thought about it uh, a little bit ahead of time. God took that man and made him this man of power. He became the rock that Jesus predicted that he would be one of the most significant leaders in early church history. He, uh, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached and 3,000 people came to Christ and were added to the church. He often laid his hands on people and they were miraculously healed. Eventually, he left the city uh, of Jerusalem and traveled around preaching the gospel in the Roman Empire. At the end of his life, uh, traditionally, uh, he, he ends his life crucified upside down because he thought it was too much of a privilege to be crucified right side up. That's the way Jesus was crucified. And he said, I, I don't even compare to Jesus. Do it to me upside down. That's what Peter became. But in Luke chapter 5, the story that we're going to read, he's still Simon, the fisherman who had no idea what God could do in his life at that particular point in time. You know about uh, Jesus kind of like he did. Maybe you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, kind of like Peter did early in his life. See, Peter, before this event where Jesus calls Peter, uh, he already knew Jesus. He'd been baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, he had at least three encounters with Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter four, we're gonna read cha Luke chapter five. Luke chapter four, uh, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, that may or may not have happened. You know, sometimes it's a little confusing about the order of events. But, uh, but Peter was a guy that, that knew Jesus, was kind of a part-time follower, still had his job, you know. On this, uh, he still made a living for his family, but he knew about Jesus. So when Jesus arrived on the scene, it wasn't like it's the first time he had ever seen Jesus. But it wasn't until this event that we're going to talk about that he actually allowed Jesus to catch him. Uh, you know, actually allowed Jesus to, to, to take him completely in his life. That may have been the day, this, this event that we're going to read about may have been the day when Peter grasped this particular truth that we're talking about right here. Jesus knows more about me in my life than I'll ever know. It may have been this particular day and this event that we're going to read about that, 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 uh, that illustrates this truth. Jesus knows more about me than I could ever possibly know. He knows what I can do. He knows what my future can hold if I will just give my life to him. So here's the story, beginning in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, 
Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Now, the lake of Gennesaret is most often called the Sea of Galilee. Here's a map. We like maps, right? Here's a map. I forgot my pointer, but there's a kind of a little teeny lake, and then up near the top, there's a medium-sized lake. That's the Lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee, and there's, there are different tributaries that run in there to fill that lake up, and then the Jordan River comes running straight down, and, and it all terminates in the Dead Sea. But up there around that, that, med, that middle lake, uh, you see places like Capernaum. That's where Peter's family lived, and where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, and uh, uh, and there's Nazareth a little bit to the southwest uh, of that, the, where Jesus was born, all those kinds of cities. But there he was somewhere along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, uh, maybe up towards the north, wherever Peter happened to be working at that time. And verse 2 says this. So he's teaching along that lake, and he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So these guys had fished all night long, uh, and, and they, they took, they didn't catch anything that night, by the way, but they took their nets back on shore and they had to clean them up, let them dry out, get ready for the next night. So he saw these two boats that were there and the guys were out washing their nets. Verse three, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and talked to people from the boat. Why push out from the shore? Well, interestingly enough, you know, people crowded up to the shoreline. He could get away from them a little bit. And the shoreline there, combined with the, with the calm waters, actually created an amphitheater effect. So he could sit down in this boat a little bit offshore, and, and a lot of people could hear what he had to say. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Fisherman, I know you worked all night, and I know you, know you were just cleaning your net, and this is going to mess it up again, but put out into the deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Verse 5, and Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let the nets down. Now, by the way, they probably used uh, drag nets, you know, long nets that they would drag along the bottom and catch whatever they could, and so... Uh, uh, Peter, Simon, and his brother Andrew and, and a couple other guys, brothers James and John, had worked all night with these drag nets. Uh, best time to fish was at night uh, because the fish were, would come in closer to shore at night, and in the heat of the day, they'd go deep as they possibly could out there. Now, a fisherman might trust a rabbi's teaching on religious matters, but he didn't need to trust the rabbi's teaching in his own field of expertise, which is fishing. Yet in spite of this questionable thing, Peter did what Jesus asked him to do, and he put his nets down. And here's what happened, verse six. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So, verse seven, they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled up both boats so full that they began to sink. It was obvious to Peter and his helpers that God had intervened, and they reacted to this in two ways. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. What, a, what an interesting uh, uh, reaction to one of the greatest events in his life. He just fell down and worshiped Jesus and said, I'm a sinner, and you're not. Verse 9, for he and all his companions were 
astonished. They were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. Verse 10, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. You've been catching these fish to feed people, but from now on, you're going to tell people about me and my kingdom, and they're going to be saved and, and come into the family of God and have the gift of eternal life. So, verse 11, they pulled their boats up on shore, they left everything, and they followed him. And so began the transformation of Simon the fisherman to Peter the apostle, the man of God. Now, if you are a casual follower of Jesus, you can experience the same kind of transformation in your life. Ideally, of course, there are no casual followers of Jesus, but, uh, and I know this doesn't apply to anybody here, but uh, ideally there are no part-time Christians, you know, who live for Jesus sometime and live for the devil the rest of the time. No, ideally, there's no one who's marginally re religious, nominally spiritual, no one who has just enough Jesus to get by, but not enough to really do anything of any value. Uh, but even though I know you're not like that, most of us have tried that at some point in our lives. So if that's where you are, you can begin to experience a transformation that will take your life on a whole new journey toward abundance and excitement and meaning and fulfillment. Jesus called it life to the full, life to the abundantly. It begins by believing and applying the spiritual truth. Jesus knows more about you in your life than you could ever possibly know. You think you know yourself, uh, but, but you surprise yourself all the time, and you never can quite figure out what's going on. So it starts with, Jesus knows more about me and my life than I'll ever know, and he's willing and able to make my life the best that it can be. So following the example of Peter, look at three simple things this morning, three ways we can put this into practice, starting with this. Since Jesus knows more about you than you can ever know, you have a good reason to keep trying, even when the results don't come easily. Even when you try and you try and you try and you try, and it just doesn't work out the way you hoped it would, there is a reason to keep trying one more time. When Jesus told Peter to move out into the deep water and let down the nets, Peter said the right thing to Jesus. Back to verse five. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. Haven't caught a thing. That's a bad night, but it happens. Anybody ever go fishing and never and not catch a thing? If you've ever fished, you've not, you've, there's been a time you've caught nothing. But he said, we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, we can wonder if other thoughts came to Peter's mind. Uh, I'm a professional fisherman. I know fish are most available at night. I know that they go so deep in the daytime that you really can't catch anything. You're a good teacher and you're a carpenter, but I'm the fisherman around here. And with due respect, sir, I know more about this than you do. Can you imagine Peter thinking that particular thing? We tend to think those kinds of things, uh, say those kind of things to God. You just, you know, hey, Jesus, you know, you lived a long time ago. You wore those long robes and those sandals and that kind of stuff. This is the 21st century. Things are different now than they used to be. You don't know how tough it is to raise a family, have a business, maintain the cash flow. You don't understand how badly I need this or how badly I want this. Jesus tells us to move out into the deep and let down your nets. And we say, I've tried that. 
I've tried and tried and tried. I, I can't try anymore. It just, it just ain't working. I've tried to be good. It's just not working. I've tried to tell other people about you. They just won't listen. I've tried to respond in love to those people at work and they just stab me in the back every time I do it. I try and I try, but nothing works. I'm ready to quit trying that. When Jesus told Peter to let his nets down into the water, Peter must have had a doubt, thought, this is probably nothing going to happen here, probably an exercise in, in futility. Uh, but he was about to grasp this truth. He was about to see the truth that we're talking about today. Jesus knows more about this situation than I do, so I'll try again. I don't know if he knew why he was trying again, but he just decided to try again. And it's the same with you. Even if you've tried and tried and tried and got nothing in return, here's a good reason to keep trying. Jesus knows more about the situation than you do. When he tells you to keep trying, there's a good reason for it. Regardless of what Peter might have been tempted to think, what he said was, and what he did was, because you say so, I'm going to do it one more time. Doesn't make any sense to me right now, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And by trying again at Jesus' command, Peter put himself in a position to receive, well, the dream of every fisherman, but certainly a great blessing. So since Jesus knows more about you than you do, you have a good reason, if he says try it again, to try it again. Here's the second thing. Since Jesus knows more about you than you know, he's able to recognize your true potential. I can look at you. I don't know what the future holds for you. I wish I did. I always like to have a magic wand. I can just wave over people and make things good in their lives. And I don't have that ability. I, I can't see the future. But Jesus looks at every single one of us who are here. And he knows exactly what our potential is. We may think, well, hey, you know, uh, it's, it's all over with for me. You know, I'm too old now or I don't have opportunities or something of that nature. But, but uh, Jesus knows what your potential is. Peter had seen Jesus at work in the past, but there was something about what Jesus did for him on this occasion, what Jesus did for his family that day that made him see everything in a new life. That, that catch that he made was probably something he had dreamed about all of his life. You ever, you know, bass fishermen, they dream about the lunker, you know, the 10-pounder plus. Uh, whatever it is that you dream about, to us, okay, they caught a bunch of fish. But to Peter, it was probably what he had dreamed about all his life. That he, thought, he probably thought about, well, one day, you know, that's going to happen. It meant big money. It meant caring for his family. It meant paying his bills. It meant financial security. What overcame Peter was the thought that how that he didn't deserve it. He dreamed about it. Boy, one of these days, I'm going to hit it big and this and that. And when it happened, he, has, he was close enough to Jesus to look at him and say, wow, I don't deserve this. So verse 8, Luke 5, 8, when Peter, Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. One of the greatest experiences in his life. And all he can think about is, I don't deserve this. I, 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 I'm an unworthy human being. Everyone who truly sees himself, if we're working for God and God blesses us, eventually I think we all come to this point where we say, go away from me, Lord. I, I don't deserve this. 
every person who tries to do good to help others eventually come to the end of themselves and they say, I can't do this, I'm not good enough, I don't deserve to be out here doing these things for people. We tend to see our limitations, our failures, our weaknesses, our shortcomings, but Jesus sees our potential for greatness and he sees what we can become. To Jesus, you're not defined by your job title. Whatever your job title is, that's great. Jesus wants you to have a job, but to him you have potential to do things that are far greater, far beyond anything on this life, eternal things, regardless of your job title. Your life can be defined by something other than failure. And by the way, your life can be defined by something other than success. Success and failure in business and jobs and whatever, that's not what life is about. Your life can be defined by something, uh, by the contributions that you make to the everlasting kingdom of God, by words and actions that make an eternal difference in people's lives so that they serve God, live for God, uh, trust Jesus, and have the gift of eternal life. Jesus is inviting you to do his work, just like he invited Peter, to make a difference. You may not see your potential. You may think, well, it's not much. I just got this little thing. I'm just cruising along trying to survive. Jesus may see something greater in you. That's because he knows more about you than you know about yourself. So he's able to recognize. And it's it, the value of people just astounding sometimes. Just stop, take a look at your child, your spouse, your parent, your friend, or whatever, and, and think about everything that they are. It's just every person you look at is, is unique and amazing, and God wants to use us in a special way, which leads us to the last thing I want to mention to you, which is this. Since Jesus knows more about you than you know, it's worth the risk of leaving everything behind. Think what Peter did. Luke 4.11 records this. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. It's like Peter was saying, you know that, that idea that I had about being a successful businessman, about making the big catch someday? That's not important to me anymore. I found something that is really meaningful. Instead of catching fish, I want to spend the rest of my life catching people for the family of God, the kingdom of God. Now, not every follower of Jesus is asked in the same way to leave everything behind. Uh, Paul the apostle didn't leave everything behind. He took his job with him. He worked his job. And, and most people, most Christians, are called just to serve God within the context of whatever their job is. Most stay uh, close to home, but some, you know, I showed you the picture of the Carters. Um, their whole life up to this point has been about leaving everything behind and going someplace else. A few are called to do that particular thing. But that's not the case of most of you. So there may be people right here, right now, that God is calling to, to in a physical way, leave everything behind. And go out and do something that people go, you know, just lose their breath when they hear about it. But for most of us, God can use you right where you are in ways that you may not 
realize. He can expand your horizons and extend your outreach far beyond anything that you ever hope to accomplish, things of eternal value. Now, in order to do this, you must make that decision that Simon made. I have to leave everything and follow him. Everything else has to become less important than God is. That can be done no matter what your job is, by the way, or no matter what your status in life is. Everything has to become not unimportant, but less important than God is. Now, this, uh, they, uh, they left everything they, they, uh, and they followed him. They left everything and followed him. The New King James Version uses an interesting term. They forsook all. Instead of they left everything, they forsook all and followed him. That word forsook attracts me just a little bit because it reminds me of a line in the wedding vows that I always use when, when I perform a marriage ceremony. Uh, before the, you know, I so-and-so take you so-and-so, there's a part of the wedding ceremony where uh, the response in mind is, I will, instead of I do. And I'll say, will you so-and-so take this man or take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife, this, 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 you know, to having to hold from this day forth. And, but it ends up like this, and forsaking and leaving behind and forsaking all others. Keep yourself only for him or for her so long as you both shall live. Forsaking all others. Does that include mom and dad? Yep. Does that include brother and sister? Mm-hmm. Does that include best friend? Yep. It does. Now, of course, we know that Scripture also commands that you honor your mother and your father all your life, and yet you forsake them in this sense. That we'll always love brother and sister, right? And, and it's good to have best friends outside of the marriage. It, 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 you know, it, it strengthens things. But here's the idea of forsaking all others. Will you keep yourself only for this person, so long as you both shall live. The idea is this. There's a new number one in town. It ain't mommy and it ain't daddy. It's not brother and it's not sister and it's not best friend. There's a new number one in town. And it's that person that I just committed my life to in this thing called marriage. Now, that's a pretty good comparison to the Christian life. There are many important things in life, but they all come number two when compared to Jesus. We're challenged to forsake everything else, our dreams, our desires, our goals, our ambitions, all for the sake of the kingdom of God, forsaking all others. It's worth it because Jesus knows more about your life and what you need and what fulfills you than you know. He knows what's best for you better than you know what's best for you. He knows what you need before you know what you need. And he wants to give you life and not just life to get by, but life to thrive, life more abundantly. That afternoon on the Sea of Galilee, Simon Peter began a journey of transformation that took him from being a simple fisherman to becoming a great man of God. And we look back in history, we Christians do, and we think, wow, Peter, you know, what a man, what a guy. But to start with, he was this smelly, he had fish scales all over him, you know, from cleaning the fish and, and some fish guts 
different places. Just this guy that got up, worked all night, every night, cleaned the nets in the morning, tried to get a nap in the afternoon until God called him and made him something special. It all began when he learned this simple principle that we start and end with, which is this. Jesus knows more about me in my life than I do. Jesus knows more about me in my life than I do. Are you ready to trust Jesus completely and to follow him even when things don't go the way you had hoped they would go? Are you ready to put aside your insecurities that say, I, I'm not much, you know, I, just, I can't do much, and allow God to develop your potential? Are you ready to forsake all else and follow him? Are you ready for there to be a new number one in life? He's cast a net in your direction. It's up to you if you want to be caught or not. That'll be your, your choice. Will you allow him to catch you? I'm not saying you're going to be the Apostle Peter. You know, he's kind of a one-of-a-kind guy. But God has a plan. God has something in mind for you. And I don't care where you are in life. It'll still work. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you do care about us enough that you allow us to worship you and to serve you. And I just pray that you help us to at least think about this fact that you know more about me than I can ever know about myself. And so you have my best interests in mind. You want my life to be abundant. And I just ask you for the wisdom and the grace to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.